You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. controlling element here in my name so oh lord please give me that beautiful lamborghini that i wanted i pray this in jesus name that's not what he's saying that's not what he's saying he's not saying that why because we have to know god's name we have to know his nature we have to know what he is who he is what he wants to do god answers prayer to honor his name therefore prayer must be in his will Have you ever found yourself frustrated with God over unanswered prayer? This is a common problem, but the issue isn't with God. It's with our understanding of Him and His will. In today's message, Pastor Dave will remind us that we need to submit to God's will, and it should be the focus of our request. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 14, as he continues his message, The Privilege of Prayer. You're going to not only do the things that I've done and you've seen me do, but you're going to do even greater than these. Wow. Not only would the work continue, but you're going to do greater. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. Now, he's setting them up for the Holy Spirit. You can see it coming. He's setting them up for the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But he had been encouraging their faith all along. And he continues to tell them, believe in me. Remember what the word believe in him means? It means to cling to, to trust in, to put all your faith in, to put all your hope in, to rely on him. Why? Because of the words you've heard and the works you've seen. I think John, in my opinion, got this better than any of them. I think John got this better than any of them because he writes in his first epistle, in 1 John, the very first three verses, let me read them to you. Listen to what John's saying in the very first three verses of his epistle. John writes this, John 1, 1 to 3. 1 John 1 to 3. That which was from the beginning, talking about Jesus, that which we've heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we've seen and heard, we declare to you, and that truly also you may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Do you hear his words? He understood this. He knew that when he looked at Jesus, he saw God. He knew that when he heard from Jesus, he heard God. He knew that when he touched Jesus, he was touching God. John had this down. He knew this. And I just love that passage. I just really, really love that passage. He realized this. He knew this. He knew it better than them all. But Jesus was telling his disciples that, hey, if you walk by faith, believing, trusting in the oneness that I have with the Father, There's going to be great rewards. You're going to do works greater, greater than what you've seen me do. Now, first of all, 
What does greater mean? Well, Guzik, the Calvary Chapel theologian who we love to quote, says this, quote, Jesus did not mean greater in this sense of more sensational, but greater in magnitude. He goes on to say, Jesus would leave behind a victorious working family of followers who would spread his kingdom to more people and places than Jesus ever did in his entire life of ministry. In fact, one commentator I read said that when the Holy Spirit fell upon Peter on the day of Pentecost and he preached the gospel message to those that were listening and 3,000 came to know Christ, that was more than that were saved than at any time during Jesus' three years ministry. So Peter was already doing greater works. He was already doing greater things. But we need to look at something here. I kind of jumped the gun by saying, Peter, we need to look at something. Who was Jesus talking to? He wasn't standing on the mountain talking to the multitude. You're going to do greater works. He wasn't standing there talking to them. He was talking to who? The 11 that were left in the room. He was talking to his disciples. He was talking to the inner circle. In fact, when Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he said one of the qualifications for discipleship or apostle was signs and wonders. He says in 2 Corinthians 2, uh, 12, 12, truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance and signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. Now, before we jump to conclusions that are unscriptural, you must note that there were miracles done by others in the book of Acts. Stephen, Stephen did great signs and wonders. Others did great signs and wonders. In the book of Acts, we need to find that indeed, works that were done were Jesus. What did they do? The lame walk, the deaf heard, the dead were raised in Christ. So the question remains that we have to ask ourselves, are the days of miracles over? Have the days of miracles ended with the apostolic age? I see nothing in Scripture that would support that. I see absolutely nothing in Scripture that would support the fact that the death of the last apostle would bring the ends of the miraculous works of Jesus. In fact, just the opposite is true. History of the church reports miracles that were done from time to time. Miracles that had happened. And even today, we've had scattered miracles throughout our lives. The fact that we do not see evidence of them doesn't necessarily mean that they don't happen anymore. So let me ask you another question. Where is the problem? Don't say God, because our problem's not with God. The problem's with us. The problem is with us. Why do I say that? Has God changed? No. As God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. Listen to what Isaiah the prophet said. The hand of the Lord is not short, that he cannot save. Neither is ear heavy, that he cannot hear. But your sins have separated you from God. In Isaiah's days, they thought, and they blamed God for his lack of demonstration of miracles. It's not God's fault, gang. In the Bible, throughout the entire Bible, you see man being used by God to work miracles to do all sorts of things. As we continue in the book of 1 Kings on Wednesday night, we're going to come to a man by the name of Elijah. And we're going to see all the really cool things that he did in the name of the Lord. It's really exciting. The Lord hasn't changed. Folks, if you've been here at Calvary Chapel Cape May in some of our prayer sessions and seen it been around, you have seen miracles. We've had healing. 
We, we've seen people get healed miraculously. We've seen things happen unexpectedly. We've had those type of things happen, and it's been glorious. It's been wonderful. We would be foolish to deny the power of God. But I have to confess, I don't see anyone truly doing the works of God, Christ on a consistent thing. Why do you think that is? Someone said that it might be our materialistic society. Too many things. We can't see the special work of God. It could be possibly that there's no one that God would trust with the gifts. It might be that. I don't know. He knows the pride that's in our hearts. And he knows that if we had a certain gift, we might boast about it. I mean, if we saw someone get healed, were we automatically going to have a healing service and stand up to fact and say, be healed? I don't know. Or would we run into the hospital and heal everybody in the hospital? That would be great. That would be wonderful. But I believe in healing. I believe the Holy Spirit heals. I believe that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. I believe it's prevalent today. But how many people, Christians, Christian leaders, Christian men, women, have taken it upon themselves to use this for illegal and illicit gain? How many? Why were we told that we were going to do greater works? Why did Jesus say, you're going to do greater works than me? Because I'm going to the Father. What is it about going to the Father that means we were doing creative works? Well, next week, when we get to 15, 17, and 8, 15, 16, 17, and 18, Jesus is going to introduce us to the third part of the Trinity. He's going to introduce us to the Holy Spirit. The third part of the Trinity. He's going to introduce us to the Helper, the Comforter. The one, if he goes to the Father, he's going to pray that the Father would send. He's going to tell them that. He's coming. And that's where your power will be. That's where the power is. They will not be left as orphans. Once he ascends to the Father, he's going to send them the power sword. It was through the power of the Holy Spirit that the apostles worked miracles among the people. Folks, that same power is available today. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave is in you. And that power of the Holy Spirit is available today to keep those works moving. But we ask amiss. But we ask wrongly. As we look at verses 13 and 14, Jesus is going to explain this beautiful privilege of prayer. Let's read. And remember, he who believes is going to do greater works than me because I go to the Father. And, talking about the believer... Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified to the, in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus tells us that by prayer we can walk in victory, the victory that he purchased for us on the cross. We can walk in Jesus as Jesus walked. How did Jesus walk? Total one with the Father. We can walk total one with Jesus Total one with the Father, and in total oneness with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is going to pray for that in chapter 17, when he prays for us, that we would be one. Total oneness. Then we will have victory. But our prayers are limited by the whatever. And now remember, it's not the whatever. It's whatever you pray for, whatever you ask. These things are revealed to us where? In God's Word. The whatevers are revealed to us in God's word. How about the anything? It's revealed to us in God's word. What does Paul say in Ephesians 3? I love this in Ephesians 3, and many, many of you can quote it, and many of you quote it to me. 
Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. The power that works in us is what? The Holy Spirit. But he's not giving us carte blanche. The controlling element is what? What is the controlling element here? In my name. So, oh Lord, please give me that beautiful Lamborghini that I wanted. I pray this in Jesus' name. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that. Why? Because we have to know God's name. We have to know his nature. We have to know what he is, who he is, what he wants to do. God answers prayer to honor his name. Therefore, prayer must be in his will. Prayer is not conforming God to our will. It's conforming us to his will. Perfect example. Come on, what's the perfect example? Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. What did he pray? Lord, Lord, if it be your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. We pray in the will of God. When it comes to prayer, no request is out of line. Provided that it's God's will. Look at 1 John again in 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Listen to what again the apostle says. Now this is the, in 1 John 5, 14, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and we know that he hears us, whatever we ask. We know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. If we ask anything according to his will, the purpose of prayer, the secret power of prayer is to ask those things which are in God's will. Someone shout out to me the perfect will of God. According to Scripture. Yeah. That all would come to the knowledge of Jesus. That all would come to repentance. That none would perish. That's the perfect will of God. That's the perfect will of God. But notice the conditions here is to ask anything according to his will. James said you don't have it because you don't ask. And when you ask, you ask amiss because you want to consume it in your lust. The reason I want the Lamborghini is to make me look good so I can be flashy around town and people can look, ooh, look at that, you know. I want it for my own self. I want it for me. I don't want it for the glory of God. Now, if he chooses to give me a Lamborghini for his glory, well, that's different if it be his will, but I don't think it's God's will. The purpose of prayer is not to get my will. It's to get his will. God is not a genie in the bottle where we rub it and he comes out and goes, what do you want? Well, I want this and I want that. That's not what it is. If according to his will, according to his will, he's going to be good and gracious to us according to his will. You know, I don't know about you, but there are many prayers that I have prayed for that have been unanswered and I'm very thankful that they have been unanswered. Because when I go back and look and go, oh my, I prayed for that. And I'm so glad that that didn't happen. Doesn't God know the best for us? Doesn't God know what you need exactly before you need it? Isn't that scriptural? God knows what you need. And God always gives you the best gifts. God knew so much better than I. Had he answered all those prayers that I gave him, I'd have been in a mess right now. I'd have been a giant mess. But he protected me and guided me and kept me from that. Because that's the purpose of prayer is to get God's will done. So just tagging Jesus' name on the end of our prayer is not a magic formula to get your prayer answered. 
that whatever results from an intimate walk with God, remember, he who believes in me, trusting in me, looking at me, knowing my will, knowing my word, and asking. I'm not saying it's wrong to ask, but we want to ask that it's God's will. Please, what is your will? What is your will for me? God does not change, and prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes us. Prayer changes us. As we go to him in prayer, he conforms our will to his so that we pray as he directs us and he walk as he directs us. That's what we want to do as a church. What do you want for this church, Lord? Why do we say that? Because it's his church. He established it. He's the head of the church. It's his church. He can do whatever he wants with this church. Remember the last time I said that? <laughs> I was at a Bible study in Upper Township. Had 40 people coming on a Sunday night to a Bible study. And I thought we would finally open up on Sundays and become a church. And I said, Lord, whatever you want to do with this fellowship is fine. I didn't think he'd close it. But he did. But that wasn't his plan for me. His plan was for me to come down here. His plan was for me to come down here. And that didn't happen until a little later. But that was his plan altogether. When I prayed about certain things, not taking certain positions that were offered to me, and I turned them down, his plan was me to come down here. Prayer sets the power of God in motion. As we think of knowing and doing the will of God, we start to adjust to what God wants to reveal to us through his word and through prayer. His power works in and through us. This is a huge promise. It's a broad promise. Ask anything in my name, whatever you want, ask for it. And it's been taken to the hilt. And people have abused this promise and have constantly run with this promise. And there are many, name it and claim it, false prophets out there. And it's very sad, extremely sad. Because then when you don't get what you pray for, they come back and go, you don't have enough faith. Very sad. But once again, who was Jesus making this promise to? The disciples. He was making the promise to the disciples. Now, someone tell me the requirements of discipleship. Well, I'm throwing a lot of questions out there today, aren't I? <laughs> if any man would come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Those are the requirements for discipleship. Those are the requirements. Again, we go back to, if you believe in me, it goes back to the true believing. The promise was made to those who have denied themselves, those who have taken up their crosses daily and followed him. If we would necessarily follow, that you would be asking nothing for yourself. See, when I'm more in love with Jesus Christ, when I'm more in love with him, when I'm more in love with God, I'm not really praying for me. I'm praying for others. I'm praying for others to get healed. I'm praying for others to be touched. I'm praying for others to be lifted up. I can tell you this right now. Take some time. Write out your want list. Like me, get a roll of toilet paper and start writing, all right? Then you, when you fill up the entire roll, go someplace, have the roll in your pocket, and start worshiping God, drawing ever closer to him. Worshiping him, praising him, having a great time, and spend as long as you want. I can guarantee that piece of paper or whatever in your pocket won't mean a thing after a while because you won't care about that because you've gotten so close to God through praising and through worshiping that he's revealing to you, hey, I got it covered. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to do what I need to do. My last question, <laughs> you're probably glad, boy, I'm glad he's over this stuff. What was the intended outcome of prayer? What was the intended outcome of 
of this privilege of prayer. What was to the disciples and what is the intended outcome of all our prayers. I pray for this person to be saved. I pray for this person to be healed. I pray for this. I pray for that. I pray, Lord, that we would be able to do things as a church. I pray for these things. What's the intended outcome? Scripturally, that the Father may be glorified. That God would be glorified. You think God would be glorified in my Lamborghini? I don't think so. I'd look good behind. No, that's not true. God's not going to be glorified in, the, in, in me having a Lamborghini. He's not going to be glorified in that. And here's, here's the key, folks. When you pray for something and it happens, we have prayed for healing here. And we have seen healing in here. The first thing we didn't do was go, look what I did. I prayed. Woo! And I got healed. No. I want to give all glory and praise to God. I want to give all glory and praise to God for his healing, for his love. Not for me. Not for me. We have this privilege. We'll end this. We have this privilege. God has given us such a wonderful privilege to be able to come before him, a most holy God, a creator who loves us. He's given us his privilege to come into his throne of grace, to look into his eyes of love, to stare into his beauty, to stare into his face, and now to present our requests, our petitions, our supplications, and present them to him. To, to present him, these intercessions. And when we present him with thanksgiving, it says we have a peace that we don't even understand. We have a peace that we don't understand because we serve a God who loves us. And if we're in that state of mind and we're in that state believing and asking and praying, if we're in that state in mind, Jesus is going to say, why are your hearts so troubled? Why are your hearts so troubled? Let me leave you with these four lines from a song. You'll know the song as soon as I say the first line. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Everything. It's a privilege, folks. Don't underestimate the privilege that you have been given. Don't fail to use the privilege that you have been given. God will answer you in his time. And we don't know what that answer is going to look like. It might not be the answer you're looking for, but it will be the answer according to his will. And he will also give you the strength to accept his answer when he gives it to you. It's a privilege. Don't underestimate it. Involve yourself in it. Know that he wants to do works in you that are innumerable, works in you that are incredible. I think God wants to see healings today. I think he wants to see all the gifts manifested. I, want to, I think he wants to see that. But I think most of all, he wants to see people come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's first and foremost on his plan, that people would be saved. And he wants to use us. So we need to pray. And we need to know that if we ask according to his will, he'll do it because he loves you. Amen. The Gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on earth. 
Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as, I am. In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. Perhaps you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at AssureHopeRadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on Assure Hope.